Our subject is uh, basic dispensationalism, and uh, we have some uh, notes here, and uh, my son uh, Daniel here will pass out uh, a copy to each one. And as uh, you know, most of these speakers have started out with a, with a story, and while he's passing these out, they'll give this one. Uh, I don't know which one of the great preachers it was, but uh, he was just a speaker in one of our great churches. And after the sermon, of course, he went back to the door to shake hands with the people. And one fellow came by and he said, that sermon was too long. And then when he got back in the line and shook hands with the preacher again, he said, not only was that sermon uh, too long, it was boring. And then the fellow got back in line and went by the preacher again, and he said, not only was too long and too boring, but it wasn't even dispensational. And uh, that preacher started to get red in the face, and one of the deacons observed what was going on. So he came up to the preacher and he said, now, don't let this fellow bother you. Uh, you know, He's not too bright. Uh, he doesn't think for himself. He's only he's only repeating what everybody else is saying. So uh, <laughs> that's what happens many times. Well, let's just uh, bow for a word of prayer and ask God's blessing on our gathering. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we truly thank thee for this content. As thy people gather together to study, to show themselves approved unto thee, that we might be workmen who need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we pray that thou bless each message that's gone out. We pray that thou bless each seminar as it's now in session. And we pray that we will derive great spiritual blessing and profit from this study. And we pray that great glory will come to thy name. For we pray in the blessed name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. Now, uh, if, uh, as we go along, if you have uh, any questions, uh, write them down on a piece of paper and at the end of the uh, session, we'll try and answer them, or at least uh, we'll answer them uh, uh, tomorrow. Now, uh, we're indebted to some of the people at Norwood for... Uh, printing this uh, for us, uh, and so let's uh, look at the fact that uh, everything begins with Genesis uh, 1-1. Let's uh, turn to Genesis 1-1, which most of you know from uh, memory, where we read, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and everything begins with God. We believe that he is the source of the dispensations that God planned all things through the Lord Jesus Christ. That uh, dispensations are not something uh, invented by Schofield or by our beloved uh, brother O'Hare. I don't know how many of you knew him. He was one of our great uh, champions. And uh, we look back with uh, great joy at his ministry and what he uh, meant to many of us in our uh, lives. Now, I, uh, as you'll notice, the uh, outline 
we're just going to look at the, the high point because we can't exhaust this by any means. But I call this uh, the original uh, creation. Uh, you're going to notice I take the view of the gap theory. Now, many people have different uh, views. I know that uh, there are those who uh, take the creation uh, theory. Uh, remember that uh, what is it, a couple years ago when we were out this way, we had one of the exponents of the creation theory. Uh, they believe that this earth is about uh, perhaps 6,000 years old and that uh, though it may look old, it really isn't old. God, God created it looking old. In fact, I remember uh, when I walked in, uh, Tim Conklin had uh, the Usher badge on him. And he says, uh, I'm Archbishop Usher. Now, uh, he was the man whose dates were put in many of the editions uh, of the King James Version. I don't know if you have uh, that particular version. There aren't too many who have those dates in it nowadays. But uh, 404 uh, B.C., Archbishop Usher believed that uh, God created this world uh, 404 uh, B.C. And uh, during the succeeding years, uh, many people laughed at that theory. But you'll find out that more and more people are accepting that. And believing it, and Ph.D. after Ph.D. Uh, is accepting uh, this uh, idea. And it could be true. I said, just, I accept the, uh, the gap theory. We know that uh, the men that went to the moon uh, tell us that this Earth is about uh, three billion years old, and, and the moon is just as old, <laughs> according to their uh, theory, which, of course, supports the idea that God created the heavens and the earth simultaneously at the same time. So uh, I have no conflict with these uh, different theories, and people have the right to uh, believe them. But uh, I certainly object to the theory of evolution, and I also object to the theory of theistic evolution. I don't believe that uh, God used evolution as the means uh, by which uh, to create man. And the problem with theistic Evolution, he is that great big baboon or gorilla. Uh, when did God put a soul in it? That's the problem with theistic evolution. They claim that God used this process, but I asked them, well, when, when did God put a soul in it? Well, somewhere along the line, uh, God put a soul in him that's different from the animal world. So uh, that's what uh, I am uh, proposing here and uh, not dogmatically, but by the original creation, I mean that there was absolutely nothing here. It was just an absolute uh, vacuum. But before that, God had this plan in mind uh, from before the uh, foundation of the world that he intended to do all these things and he's carrying out his great uh, plans and his great uh, purposes. And so God made command, and instantly this material universe came into existence. Now that's the greatest idea of omnipotence. As Paul says, God calls those things which be not as though they were. Now some of us have dreamed of the possibility of just speaking the word and it would come to pass, haven't we? Well, 
I'm glad that God hasn't given us that power, or this universe would be uh, a ruin. But God has that omnipotent power. He spoke the word and brought this universe into existence. And so before there was a speck of dust in the universe, uh, God had the plan for the dispensation. You heard about the little boy who came back from Sunday school and he said, uh, is it true what my Sunday school class uh, was taught this morning by the teacher that man was made out of dust? But it said, that's sure true. They just looked under the bed and either somebody's coming or going. Yes, uh, dust. Ask the people who uh, uh, from uh, those who live around uh, Mount uh, St. Helen up there, and uh, they've got the dust cloth out all the time. But even some of us who aren't near there, they use the dust cloth quite often. But think of it, before there was a speck of dust in the universe, God had uh, this great plan. But I believe something happened to that original creation. Uh, God had created the angels, and here all of them were holy, all of them were obeying him, but one day one of the angels by the name of Lucifer said uh, to a number of angels, uh, come on, follow me. Uh, you know, God isn't giving you a fair deal, I'll give you a better deal. And uh, if I understand the book of Revelation correctly, I believe one-third of the angels followed him and rebelled against God. Now, we don't have time to look at these details. This is just the basis of dispensationalism. But uh, when Satan fell, judgment came upon this ancient creation. He had a throne, and I believe he had a throne on this earth. Probably that's when those dinosaurs were around. Can't say dogmatically, but uh, when he rebelled, why, this whole universe was ruined. God sent judgment upon it, and then God began to recreate, as we read here in the book of uh, Genesis, and uh, the earth was without form. Now, there are many Hebrew students who say that could be translated, and the earth became without form. Now, those who have a protracted period in, of creation uh, say, well, uh, it was first uh, without form, and then uh, God, by the process of evolution, uh, gradually brought uh, order out of this uh, chaos. But I believe it was orderly to begin with. But then this judgment came, and then God began a work of recreation, uh, which took place in seven days. And so the long protracted period of time is back here in Genesis 1.1. And then, when God recreated, he recreated it in uh, six days and rested uh, the seventh day. So uh, that is the theory that I hold. And then God, of course, created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. And we call this first dispensation the dispensation of innocence. God created Adam without sin. Now, the question often comes up, did God know that Adam was going to sin? I certainly, I believe he knew that Adam was going to sin because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. 
Well, why should he be slain before the foundation of the world if there were no, no contemplated sin? God knew that we were going to be sinners before this world began, and God planned that Jesus Christ was going to die before the world uh, began. And so it was no surprise to God that Adam sinned. But the question comes up, well, why did God do it that way? Well, because he was pleased to. Uh, God didn't have to create the world as he did. He's free. You know, he could have uh, just left this earth uh, without inhabitants if he wanted to. He could have just left the universe a vacuum if he wanted to. But he was pleased to create. Someone says, well, why? I believe, first of all, to display his grace. That's why I believe he did. And secondly, to display his justice. And all that is for his honor and for his uh, glory. And you know the story that God created Adam and said, only one tree that you're not to eat of, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And man sinned against God, and the whole human race uh, was ruined. Now, this is very important in uh, dispensationalism. It's very important uh, to the Apostle Paul, as you know, in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, he tells us that sin came into this world by one man. Let's turn to the fifth chapter of the book of uh, Romans, where Paul uh, expands this doctrine of the sin of Adam. Now today, I'm sure that if you give any testimony to people and you tell them that you believe that Adam was the first man, uh, many people... Uh, laugh at you and say, are you so naive as to believe that Adam was the first man? That's just uh, mythological. But uh, Christ believed it. He says, in the beginning, God made man, male, and female. He doesn't refer to Adam uh, in name, but he says, God created man, male, and female, which implies Adam and Eve. And then the Apostle Paul is very specific in the fifth chapter of Romans, when he says in verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now often people say, you mean to say that just one sin has ruined the human race? Well, how many bullets does it take to stop your heart? One. How many perforations in the eye to put the eye out. One. And that one sin of Adam ruined the whole human race. And when Paul says, for all have sinned, he doesn't mean all have sinned uh, personally. He talks about that in the third chapter of Romans. But he means all sinned in Adam. And that's why people die. Here's this little infant. They say, what did he do? What did she do? But that uh, infant could die. That infant dies because of Adam's sin. But thank God, I believe that just as that infant is automatically condemned because of Adam's sin, I believe that infant is automatically saved because of Christ's righteousness. It's a matter of imputation. But as you read this, this chapter of Romans, what do you read? Much more. Much more. Much more. So that you and I today 
had much more than Adam and Eve had back there in the Garden of Eden. Well, they had it level. Uh, they didn't have to worry about the altitude, whether there was enough oxygen or not. It was perfect. They didn't have to bat any flies for uh, mosquitoes. They didn't have any notice that there might be ticks around that would bite you and would get Rocky Mountain fever or something like that. Uh, nothing like that was in existence. The temperature was just right. So here was Adam and Eve in a perfect condition. But you and I in Christ have much more than Adam had uh, before he sinned. Otherwise, this uh, word much more doesn't mean anything. Some, I just mentioned Brother O'Hare. Just before he died, he quoted the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, and he said, everybody ought to be able to quote this. And uh, then he decided to be with Christ. What a great chapter, the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. Now here the Apostle Paul uh, enlarges on Old Testament truth. Now this is a very important principle in dispensationalism. Paul, we find, enlarges on many doctrines that you find back there in the Old Testament. That is, where he says Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he raised, it, raised again the third day according to the scripture. So Paul develops many Old Testament doctrines, but then he also reveals something that's not found anywhere in the Old Testament, the truth concerning the mystery. One, I believe, is the gospel, and the other is the mystery of the gospel. Now, many don't distinguish between the two. Some make them one and the same, but they're not one and the same. I believe that uh, we have this uh, progressive revelation from Genesis 3.15 uh, until we come to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, the climax of Old Testament prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, in this dispensation, we who are saved are not only saved from hell, but we've been saved to be members of the body of Christ. We've been raised with him. We've been seated with him in the heavenlies. And believing Jews and Gentiles are one in this one body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we're going to see, and as you study this little pamphlet we're showing you, uh, Paul will develop many facts of the Old Testament. He talks about Adam. Uh, later on, as we're going to see, he talks about Abraham and uh, mentions how he is an illustration of being justified uh, by faith. So this first dispensation, which is often called the dispensation of innocence, ended with uh, failure. But it was not only Adam and Eve that was involved. Uh, the whole human race was involved. Now, if a person is logical, if he rejects the first three chapters of Genesis, he rejects the cross of Calvary. They stand and fall together. Everyone who denies the imputation of Adam's sin will also have to deny the imputation of Christ's righteousness. You've met people, no doubt, as you've witnessed, who said, you mean to say that through the death of one man on the cross of Calvary, and you call him the God-man, that sinners are made righteous in the sight of God? I don't believe it. 
And they also say, do you mean to say that through one man sin came into the world? I don't believe it. But as true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe both that through the ruin of Adam's sin, here we are lost, condemned, but through the work of the one man, the God-man Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, we are made righteous in the sight of God. So after that, it began the dispensation of uh, conscience, which you'll find uh, on page 5. Now I trust that you all take these along with your home and uh, study this in uh, detail and uh, look up all the scripture texts on uh, the subject. We, uh, after man sinned, his conscience began to operate and he knew the difference experimentally between good and evil. And he was to do the good and done the evil. And was to approach God by means of a blood sacrifice. And you know the story of Cain and Abel. Abel came through the blood and he was accepted. Cain brought the food to the ground and he was uh, rejected. But this dispensation ended with judgment as uh, all of the dispensations do. It was ended with the uh, flood of Noah's day. Then began, as we have on page 7, the dispensation of human government. Now this is very important. You say, what do you mean by human government? By this is meant that man is responsible to govern his fellow man for God. Now, uh, Whereas the majority of politicians and they would agree with some of that, that man is responsible to govern his fellow man. But they won't say, for God. Now, as a dispensation is closed, but as a principle, it obtains. When we study dispensational truth, we find that there are some things that are just for one dispensation. But there are other facts and principles that go through Every dispensation, they haven't changed. And as far as man's responsibility to govern his fellow man is concerned, it still operates today. Paul says that in the 13th chapter of the book of Romans, that that uh, law officer is God's minister. Now, I'm sure that none of you uh, break the law in coming here. None of you went over 70, did you? But, uh, you know, if... Uh, one of those policemen would stop you. If you want to really shock him, just say, I'm sure glad to see a minister of God. And then he'll look at you and say, well, <laughs> you must be a little touched. I ought to also call the wagon to take you away. But then open to the 13th chapter of the book of Romans, and there Paul says, these men are God's ministers, waiting continually upon this very thing. Oh, one preacher was given his testimony, uh, which really was his confession. It's always good to hear preachers give their confessions, but uh, this preacher went to a red light. And he knew he did, and there was a cop following him. So the preacher jumped out of the car. He said, I know I went to a red light. Give me a ticket and let's have it over with. And the cop said to him, you know, I used to have a temper like yours before I was saved. Now, that was a real rebuke to the preacher, wasn't it? 
So, uh, as we think of the coming election, uh, how many of the candidates uh, really understand that they are responsible to govern their fellow man for God? Oh, what a difference it would make uh, in the politics of every country and here in the United States. Uh, well, many of them just mention God uh, in both, uh, as a passing thought, uh, but how many will say, well, uh, Jesus Christ is the rightful ruler? Very few. Well, you heard Mr. Anderson's testimony. We're not preaching uh, politics here, but you know, the Jews and others said, hey, Mr. Henderson, we understand when you first went uh, to Congress that you had a resolution that this should be declared a Christian country under God. Mr. <laughs> Henderson said, well, I was naive back then. You know, uh, but we understand you did it a couple times. Yeah, well, I didn't know, understand back there. Well, it would have been a great thing if he had said, I made the right proposition. That's exactly what should be done. Here in this country, it should be declared a country that believes in Jesus Christ under God. But how many would vote for a man like that in these days? But it would be a great testimony for our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Well, this dispensation of human government ended with the Tower of Babel. Now, this again is basic to our understanding the dispensation of the grace of God. From the Tower of Babel in the 10th chapter of Genesis to the 13th chapter of the book of Acts, God was dealing primarily with the nation Israel. Now just uh, take your Bible and uh, put your finger there in the 10th chapter of the book of Genesis and put your finger in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts and what a bulk of scripture you have there. And most of this has to do with the nation Israel. Oh, occasionally uh, Gentiles uh, were talked to, but that was the exception to the rule. Jonah went to Nineveh. There. Uh, Christ blessed the Syrophoenician uh, woman. But why? Because of her great faith. But Christ said, uh, don't go into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter you not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now when many people read that, they say, why, Jesus Christ was the most bigoted person on the face of this earth. Jesus Christ uh, was the most race prejudiced man that ever lived. Don't go to those Gentiles. Well, I hope you have the explanation, right? was not a racist. This refers to the fact that Paul so clearly announces in the first chapter of the book of Romans that the Gentiles gave up God. They said, we don't want God. Three times in the first chapter of Romans, Paul says, the Gentiles gave up God and God gave up the Gentiles. So, whose fault was it? It wasn't God's fault. It was the Gentiles' fault. They didn't want God. And God said, all right, go your own way. And from the 10th uh, chapter of Genesis until God raised up the Apostle Paul and sent him out to the Gentiles, God didn't make any particular effort to reach the Gentiles. That's right. 
They were in darkness. Remember what Paul said to the Athenians. The times of this ignorance, God winked at or overlooked. But now, things have changed. That, that's the glory of this dispensation, that God raised up the apostle Paul, and he says, I am the apostle of the Gentiles, and I what? Magnify my author. Now, many people belittle it, or make light of it. But Paul says, I am the apostle of the Gentiles, and I magnify my office. Christ finally brought him to that place. Uh, at first, he didn't want that job. When he was first converted, the Lord later on said, don't you go to the Gentiles? He put up an argument. You know, they all know that I was the chief persecutor. They all know that when the blood of my uh, martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing by and contending. Christ said, depart. I'm going to send you far hence to the Gentiles. And when he found out that was the will of God for him, he says, I am the apostle of the Gentiles and I magnify mine office. And so we must always keep this in mind. Uh, that the reason the Gentiles were in darkness all these centuries is because of the power of Babel. When they gave up God and God gave up uh, the uh, Gentiles. And then God dealt with the nation Israel. Of course, they weren't the nation Israel right away, but the root started with the call of Abraham, which we call the uh, dispensation of uh, promise. Now again, as we use some of these words, they are not just theological terms, they are scriptural terms. Uh, just read the fourth chapter of Romans, Read the third chapter of Galatians and see how many times the word promise is found. God gave it to Abraham by promise. That the promise could be of uh, none effect. Promise, promise, promise. You see, God made the promises. Abraham believed those promises of God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And this is the great gospel of what? The uncircumcision. You know, some people say, I don't understand all these terms. Uh, Paul talks about the gospel of the circumcision. He calls, talks about the gospel of the uncircumcision. And he talks about the reconciliation. Well, some of us remember how Brother O'Hare used to express it. He says, you know, the gospel of the kingdom uh, goes back to uh, David in particular, the gospel of the circumcision goes back to Abraham uh, when the covenant of circumcision was made with him at the age of 99. The gospel of the uncircumcision goes back to Abraham when he was called as a Gentile at the age of 75. And the message of reconciliation goes back to Adam. And the mystery uh, goes back uh, before the foundation of the world. Not that God didn't know all these things, but to accommodate our uh, frail mind, we have to see uh, the roots of all these different plans and purposes of God. And so Paul speaks so much about uh, Abraham, that Abraham was justified without any ceremony and without the law. 
Now that is the gospel of the uncircumcision. And that is the foundation of our salvation today. Let's turn uh, to the fourth chapter of the book of Romans uh, to see how Paul uh, mentions this and uh, deals with it uh, particularly. Fourth chapter of the book of Romans. Paul, of course, is talking to the uh, Jewish people and he says in the fourth chapter of Romans, What shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, had found. Well, what does it mean? What did the flesh have to do with Abraham's salvation? Well, you know, back in those days, they had catechism, just like uh, many churches have catechism today. And it just depends what kind of catechism is uh, being uh, taught. We heard the first uh, question of the Westminster sort of catechism, what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But the rabbis had a catechism and they would call the children together and they'd say, how was our father Abraham justified? And the rabbi would say, by his works. Think of it. That's what the rabbi said. But Paul says, I don't care what the rabbi says. What does the scripture? Well, what does the scripture say? The scripture says, Abraham believed God and was counted unto him for righteousness. Now you and I are to work on that same principle. That no matter what anyone says from any denomination or ism, uh, what does the scripture? We don't care what the position of the elders have to say, but what does the word of God have to say? And so Paul says, here it is. If Abraham were justified by works, he's got something to glory in, but not before God. Aren't you glad? You know, it's bad enough to live on earth with bullshit, isn't it? You ever hear people telling you how great they are, what a great family background they have, and one of their ancestors was a preacher and the other was a deacon in the church, and uh, oh, they brag and they brag, but when you get to heaven, you're not going to find a bragger up there. Not of work, lest any man should what? Boast! Jeremiah says, don't let the rich man glory in his riches. Uh, don't let the mighty man glory in his might. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now, uh, that, uh, that we said from the outset. That's why God created this universe for his glory. That's why he has allowed sin to come in to display his glory in grace. We're saved to the praise of the glory of his grace. The glory of his grace. Now, notice what he says, and uh, I'm sure that some of you know these uh, verses uh, by heart. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, uh, it's very interesting that here in verse 6, I think our translators in the King James Version, did uh, a good uh, work, he says, even as David. Now, some people say, I can understand about Abraham, because he never was under the law. But here's David, who was under the law. How about him? Now, this Greek word, Thai, could be translated and, or it could be translated even. And our translators translated it, uh, even David who was under the law, describeth the blessedness 
of the man to whom God imputed righteousness, what? Without work. He imputes righteousness without work, saying, Blessed are they whose uh, sins are uh, forgiven and whose iniquities uh, are covered, and vice versa. Now that word uh, really means congratulated. <laughs> Nobody ever congratulated me. Oh yes, I'm sure that most of you have been congratulated on your birthday. You come up to you and say, congratulations, it's your birthday. But you know if you really think, you say, why? What did I have to do with it? You didn't have a single thing to do with it. Not, not a single thing. We were absolutely passive in our physical birth, weren't we? And we're absolutely passive in regeneration, too. But we're to be congratulated because of what God has done uh, for us. Now, uh, before we go any further, uh, we do have a definition of what we mean uh, by uh, a dispensation. Now, the word in itself only means a household. Now, ask some of the young people around here, and uh, they'll understand that. You'll hear them talking. Well, you know, in our house, I have to be in at 9 o'clock. That's the rule. And another young person says, well, no, I can come home at, at 12 o'clock. And another young person who has parents, they don't care anything about them, well, he says, I can come in any time. Now, you get those three together, and they say, you know, the rule for our house uh, is different from yours. Uh, this is how you're to explain this to people who don't understand a dispensational truth, that the word dispensation itself only means a house rule. And God has a house rule for Israel. And he has a house rule for members of the body of Christ. And uh, many of them are different. Some are the same, as we said. Some principles of God go through every dispensation, but uh, God doesn't say to us, in this dispensation, you're to keep the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath. That was God's house rule for the house of Israel. But it's not the house rule for the body of Christ. And uh, in regard to Abraham, when he was 99 years old, that was the beginning and the root of the gospel of the circumcision. And uh, God says, without this right, uh, any man in Israel who has not submitted to this right is going to be cut off. In the book of Galatians, Paul says, why, it's just the opposite. God has abolished so here was the rule for the house of Israel. Here is the rule for members of the body of Christ. Now, come on. Preacher, you've been talking about dispensationalism. Where in the world do you find the word dispensation? You know, I got a Bible. Why, the word dispensation isn't found there. Well, I feel sorry for you. Do you know what is undermining our movement, perhaps, more than anything else? The new translations of the Bible. You look in vain for the word dispensation. Boy, you say they've got stewardship. They've got administration. Now, these words are legitimate, 
but they're not as forceful. They are not as graphic. They are not as powerful as the word dispensation. And that's one of the reasons I stay with the King James Version. When I talk to a person and I say, I want to talk about the dispensation of the grace of God, I can turn to Ephesians, the third chapter, and there it says, dispensation of the grace of God. I can turn to the ninth chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, and Paul says, a dispensation was committed unto me. And uh, many other texts that talk about the word dispensation. Now someone says, but, uh, well, I've been told that that uh, King James Version isn't reliable. Well, let me tell you something. The Missouri Synod, and they had nothing, no axe to grind, they're not dispensating us, perhaps at all, except Old Testament and New Testament, but they appointed uh, their best scholar uh, to make a four-year study of ten of the versions of the Bible. Ten versions of the Bible. And you know what they came up with as the preferable version? The Missouri Senate, they came up with the King James Version as number one. Now you'll meet some people who will poo-poo the King James Version, but all you have to say is, here are some scholars, T-H-D. This was in the Chicago Tribune. And if any of you want a copy, give me your name and address, and I'll send it to you. This was found in the columns of the King of uh, the Chicago Tribune, uh, which they call the world's greatest newspaper, but uh, some people might uh, object to that, but that had nothing to do with it. But uh, don't let anybody tell you that, because it's not true. And of course, what was the end of the list? Well, of course, the tenth one, that they examined was the Living Bible. That was right down there uh, <laughs> at the bottom because it's really a paraphrase. It's uh, one man's uh, idea. Now, you see, some of these uh, uh, examinations that you read about in uh, different uh, current uh, Christian magazines was done by a man, maybe at the most, he gave a couple weeks study to it. But here was an examination of a period of four years. So it wasn't some light, trivial thing. And so uh, I believe we could stand and keep that word dispensation. Because if we let that word go, we're not going to have much authority in talking with people. It's not even found in my Bible. So the word dispensation means household. And then, to give it a definition, my definition is, a dispensation is God's method of dealing with man, according to a particular revelation of his will. It is not a period of time, but usually covers a period of time. It's a particular way in which God deals with man. Well, what was the particular way in which God dealt with Adam and Eve? He is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the particular way. He's not dealing with any person like that today. And what was part- God's particular way of dealing with the uh, antediluvian world? That is, the people before the flood. He said, I want you to come to the edge of the Garden of Eden, 
and offer sacrifice. We don't come to the end of the Garden of Eden uh, to offer a sacrifice. Uh, what was God's particular way of dealing with Israel? Well, we mentioned some of the things, but God said to Israel, I want you to go out and I want you to kill all those Canaanites. Every one of them. <laughs> Is that God's particular revelation to you and to me? No. So that's what the word dispensation uh, means as far as my understanding is that God's uh, method of dealing with man according to a particular revelation of his will. Now, how great it is to read how that Abraham was justified without uh, the ceremonies that later on were imposed upon Israel. As Paul asked the question here in the fourth chapter of the book of Romans, when he says, uh, verse 9, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only? Is it only for the Jews? Or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it reckoned to him? When he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? And the answer is, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And this right was given to him later on as a seal of the covenant. And that's why Paul ends this fourth chapter of Romans, and he says, it wasn't written for Abraham's sake alone. I always thank God for that verse. You know, you read about Abraham, he believed God, and God says, you stand before me righteous. He says, wasn't that wonderful? Abraham, until Mount Sinai, they were in the dispensation of promise. And then at Mount Sinai, God made a proposition to Israel. He said, uh, if you will keep my law, I'll make you a nation of priests, and you'll be my peculiar people. Now God made the proposition, and Israel said, we'll accept it. We'll accept it. And because they accepted it, God gave them the law at Mount Sinai. Now, this is an illustration that a person can live in more than one dispensation. Yes, some people have a great deal of difficulty concerning people living in one dispensation and also being in another dispensation. Uh, there's no difficulty. The Bible is full of illustrations of that. Uh, here was Moses. Why? <laughs> he lived uh, many, many years in the dispensation of promise. And then at Mount Sinai, he went under the law and all the people with him. So here were people who lived in the dispensation of promise. They went into the dispensation of law. And so uh, do not think that that is some insuperable difficulty because we have illustration after illustration of that in uh, the Bible. Now, God gave the Ten Commandments and we're not going to uh, tell you what they are. I hope you know what they are. But there were three parts to the law. The Ten Commandments are found in less than one chapter, the 20th chapter of the book of Genesis. Then God gave the judgment the social life of Israel. Remember, uh, he said, uh, for instance, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. 
Well, you know how that has been abused down through the centuries? Uh, some people think they're witches. Remember back in the days of the uh, colonists, uh, they thought a witch was an old lady with only two teeth and they didn't eat. Uh, and uh, so uh, they would put her to death, you know. She would, you know, uh, sort of mumble down the street. But you know, a witch is a very beautiful, vivacious a woman who says, I can communicate with the dead. That's what a witch was. And who was the male of the species? A wizard. Yeah. Uh, the female of the species was a witch. And the male of the species was a wizard. And so we have many who are in this category today. Now, we're not to put them to death. But God hasn't changed his mind concerning them. If we want to know about uh, heaven and uh, the beyond, we don't go to some witch or wizard. We go to the word of God. We don't go to, as Isaiah says, to witches who mutter and peep. <laughs> that's how he puts it. No, he says to the word of God. And that's our only source. And so there we have the judgment of Israel. But if you know the books of Exodus, you know the bulk of the book of Exodus deals with the tabernacle and priesthood. Now that was God's grace under the law. If they only had the Ten Commandments, everyone would have gone to hell, including Moses. But the grace under the law was the tabernacle and the blood sacrifices that were offered that covered their sins uh, for a year the Day of Atonement, and what an important day that was uh, to Israel. But nobody could keep the law. Theoretically, if anybody could keep it, he would be saved. But nobody could keep it. And Christ says, didn't Moses give you the law? And none of you keep it. And Paul says but that by the law is the knowledge of sin. In the book of Romans, uh, the third chapter, he says very plainly uh, concerning uh, the law that uh, it could not justify, no, not at all. He says that the law was given that every mouth might be stopped and all the world become guilty uh, before God. Now the law dispensation did not end at the cross as far as the revelation is concerned. We know that Christ finished the work on the cross. But the law went on into the early chapters of the book of Acts. We read that uh, Ananias was zealous of the law. And we read that the Jewish believers were zealous of the law. It's not until we come to the epistles that we have the explanation as to what took place at Calvary. The Bible doesn't say at the cross, but through the cross. It's through the instrumentality of the cross that we have all these blessings. But the revelation of it was not found until we study these epistles. And that brings us to the, uh, almost the end of the time. Uh, but uh, let's uh, just look uh, briefly at uh, what we call the dispensation of the grace of uh, God. The Let's see what page there is at here in our uh, little pamphlet. Uh, we covered uh, a lot of uh, 
uh, territory, but uh, this is uh, imperative because of the lack of time. Now we're going to go on uh, tomorrow, the Lord willing, in this uh, study. Uh, meanwhile, uh, you look it over, and as I said, if anyone has any questions, uh, write it out, and we'll be glad to answer those questions to the best of our ability. The dispensation of the grace of God. Again, we say, this is not uh, a theological term. It is a scriptural term. Let's just turn in closing to the third chapter of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And I'm sure that uh, the majority of us love this epistle. It's uh, so tremendous as to its revelation concerning what is true for us today as members of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The third chapter of the book of Ephesians. He says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Now that's one of the characteristics of this dispensation, is that it's primarily Gentile. Now I told you about my troubles uh, in regard to having a bypass on my, both my legs. Now my uh, surgeon is an Orthodox Jew, and he likes to kid me. You know, I'll come into the waiting room, and he'll tell everybody, Oh, the Reverend is here! And he says, You know, the Messiah is coming, isn't he, Reverend? Either he came before, or he's coming for the first time. Well, I says, I believe he came before, and he's going to come the second time. Well, he's waiting for him to come uh, the first time. But he says, you know, what's your text, uh, and what are you going to preach on Sunday? I tell him. He says, you know, I ought to be a preacher. But they would say, what's that little Jew doing up there preaching? And I said, uh, Doctor, you know who the first preachers were. Yeah, that's right. They were Jews. And that's right, he said. And Jesus Christ was the biggest Jew of all. And that's right, too. But I know what I said to him. I said, you know, the future preachers are going to be Jews. The 144,000 who are going to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom in the future dispensation are going to be Jews. Now, in this dispensation, if you hear that a Jew is a preacher, you're amazed, aren't you? Hey, uh, we've got a few preachers around here, haven't we? Uh, any of them named Finkelstein or Goldstein or Bernstein? Wow. God has taken spiritual authority out of the hands of Israel and now given it to the Gentiles. But the time is coming when it's going to be given back to Israel. Now that's what we believe. This is basic dispensationalism that there is a future uh, for Israel. Today, Israel as a nation is set aside and Paul says, I am the apostle of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. If you've heard of what? The dispensation of the grace of God. Not if you've heard about the grace of God. God has shown grace in every dispensation. If he didn't, nobody would be saved. But it's the dispensation. Now that word if doesn't mean Uncertainty. If anybody listened to the Apostle Paul, he would hear about the dispensation of the grace of God. But you know, as well as I, that you could be in some churches for 40 years 
and never hear about the dispensation of the grace of God, right? But not when you're around the Apostle Paul. That was his message. And he says, since you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. Now here is something that cannot be found in the Old Testament. Uh, we were tracing uh, some of the progressive revelation there in the Old Testament, which of course is basic, which is important. But now we come to a subject that cannot be found back there in the Old Testament. The word mystery means something that was hid, but is now uh, revealed. Now where did Paul get this? He got it by revelation. Paul didn't say, I think I'll start a new religion. Uh, so uh, I'll go out and meditate there in Arabia, and maybe something will come to me. And then I'll unloose that new religion on the public. Now that's what we hear from the liberals. Uh, that's what we hear from uh, the majority of Jewish people. That fellow Paul, he didn't know what he was talking about. He had a sunstroke on the uh, way to uh, Damascus. Or he had an epileptic fit. I remember when I was at the University of Chicago, we had a conference with the Jews. Now most of the time when you have a conference with the Jews, it's to show the similarity between Christianity and Judaism. But this conference was to show the difference. And what did the rabbi say? That fellow Paul, he's the one who's responsible. If it hadn't been for that fellow Paul, now what do they teach? They teach that Paul formulated a new religion and forced it upon the Gentile world. But we believe exactly what Paul says. He received it by revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, whereby when we read. Now how many people study God's Word? Well, very few. How many even read God's Word? But Paul said, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now here is the mystery in a nutshell. You know what a nutshell is. You know, we look at that nut and it's really amazing how that God in his wisdom and creation has put that, has put that nut in that shell and it's so concise, it just fits in there so nicely. Well, here is what we call the mystery in a nutshell. What? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now, where do you read that in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, it said the Gentiles would be saved. But what were they going to do? They were going to build the walls of Jerusalem. They were going to take care of the cattle of Israel. Israel would be number one, and the Gentiles would be inferior to them. That's the way it was when Christ was on earth. Remember, that's what he said to the child of an Eastern woman. Not fit to take the children's food and give it to the dog. Of course, that was before these days. Some of the dogs get better food than the children. But uh, back in those days, it wasn't that way. But you know, she was quick on the dog. I like her. And you know, some people, after it's all over, they say, oh, I wish I'd have thought of that. But she thought of it right away. She says, that's right, Lord. 
But remember, the little puppies under the table eat the crops. And uh, that's exactly what my dog does. Uh, I try to blame it on my son, Dan. And my wife says, no, that's right under you. Yeah, right there. Uh, and so I can't blame him uh, for it. But you and I are not taking some crumbs from the Jewish table. We're sitting down at the same table. If you can't say I've got more than you, I can't say I've got more than him. Believing Jews and believing Gentiles are one. Now in the Greek, uh, we have that word soon, which means uh, together with or joint heirs. So it really could be translated that the Gentiles should be joint heirs of the joint body and joint partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now that's the dispensation of the grace of God in a nutshell. Uh, when I taught dispensationalism at Grace Bible College, and I was there for 30 years, I would tell all the students, I want you to memorize that, and in my question, I would always ask, what is the dispensation of the grace of God in a nutshell? And they had better know the answer, because uh, that was very important. You know, some said, I've got my head, but I can't put it on paper. Well, it doesn't do any good to have it in your head if you can't put it on paper. And so we need to be uh, very specific as to our definition of the dispensation of the grace of God. Now, uh, I'm sure that uh, some of you are uh, getting hungry, but uh, we're going to go on from this point tomorrow.